in, um, yeah, just join in fellowship with you guys. I'm really excited. Uh, and so if you want to keep your Thessalonians reading open, that's what we're going to be hearing from today. Uh, now, what is the purpose of life? Have you guys ever wondered what the point of what, why, we, why we're here? What are we doing? What are we doing on this earth? People have wondered about our meaning and our purpose since almost as long as humans have been in existence. Why are we here? Uh, take a quick 30 seconds, chat to the person next to you and, and ask them what their purpose is. Ask them why they are living. Go for it. I'm judging by the, the silence that came then, uh, that you guys are done. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, well, I hope that, I hope that Jesus had something to do with your answer. Uh, we're going to see here from the Thessalonians tonight, uh, from the letter to the Thessalonians tonight, that Jesus has more than something to do with our purpose, uh, but that Jesus is our entire purpose, and Jesus is the reason that we are living. Uh, but before, I guess, I unpack what, what Paul has to say here, why don't I pray? So please pray with me. Uh, Almighty God, please challenge us through your word, uh, convict us of our need for you, and help us to change uh, so that we may be able to live for Jesus. Amen. So why, then, is Jesus our purpose? Why is Jesus our Lord? Why should we be living for some bloke who lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East? What's he got to do with our lives? Now, I'm sure a lot of you know, and a lot of you would have heard about Jesus before, but because the point of this passage is to discover who Jesus is, and the point of the Bible is to discover who Jesus is, uh, we're, going to be able to, uh, we're going to look at that again. We're going to look at who Jesus is. Because if we're living for Jesus without knowing why, then there's not really much point to that, is there? Uh, in the first two verses, you'll see there that Paul says, The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Well, let's think back to who Jesus is. He isn't just some bloke who lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Well, he was that. Uh, but if you, if you take a look at his life, you'll see that he is different. He had a bunch of followers who he taught to live differently from the world. He got into arguments with the religious leaders of the time. He went around healing people and he hung out with the people that no one else wanted to. And he followed and he trusted God in absolutely everything. So much so that he was willing to go to the cross and be murdered for the ones who murdered him. The ones he, he loved. And that's not all. He rose from the dead. He was declared king over everything. So this is the Jesus that we're here to follow. The one who has died and who has conquered death. That's what being Lord is. He's the king over us. And all we need to do is trust that he is our king. And our relationship with God is restored. Now, we need to have a purpose while we're living, don't we? And Jesus is that purpose. But if we don't continually remind ourselves of why we're living for Jesus, if we don't continually fix our eyes on Jesus, then we're going to just fall into the same patterns that we did before we knew Jesus and live with ourselves as our own king. So we need to continually fix our eyes on Jesus as our Lord. Now, this means that he has authority, like verse 2 says. He rightfully has the authority over us. 
And so if you're here tonight and if you trust Jesus as your Lord, then that means that every single aspect of your life should be under his authority. Now, a lot of us uh, would have gone to school. I'm assuming most of us would have. If not, we're in school at the moment. Um, and you're, you're only at school for a small amount of time compared to the, your full week, aren't you? You're there six hours a day for five hours a week. And while you're at school, uh, you're under the authority of the teachers. And so you follow, or I hope you follow, the rules that the teachers have, even the ones you don't understand, like the classic no hat, no play rule from primary school. Uh, but when you leave the school gates on a Friday afternoon, the teachers don't have the same authority over you, do they? Uh, you, you can walk down the street on a Saturday, and if you see one of the teachers and you're not wearing a hat, they're not going to make you go sit down in the shade until lunch is done, because they don't have the same authority over you then. They don't have the same authority over you all of the time. But it's different with Jesus. With Jesus, if we're living with him as our Lord, we're under his authority 100% of the time. While we're at school, while we're at home, even when no one is watching you, you're still under the authority of Jesus. And so all of your life, all of our lives should be living for Jesus. Now, some bloke who's heaps smarter than me said this. His name's Vance Havner. He said this. He said, a wife who is 85% faithful to her husband is not faithful at all. There's no such thing as part-time loyalty to Christ. There's no such thing as part-time following Jesus. There's no such thing as following him 85% of the time. We're to follow him 100% of the time. But what are some ways that we can do this? We're going to see that living for Jesus will make us different from living for the world around us. So let's see what that's like. Firstly, living for Jesus means living holy lives. Now, holy is uh, one of those fancy Bible words that simply means set apart for God. It means perfect. So God is holy. That means God is perfect. And Paul, in this letter to the Thessalonians tonight, uh, shows that God is expecting those who live for Jesus to be holy in the way they treat sex. That was that PG topic that uh, we mentioned earlier. Christians are to be different when it comes to sex. Uh, I have a different translation, so I apologize, but please read along with me from verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, it's pretty clear from that that God takes sexual immorality seriously, doesn't he? Sexual immorality being any sort of sexual activity, whether physically or mentally, outside of a relationship between one man and one woman. God takes this stuff seriously. And so as verse 3 says, it is God's will that we should be sanctified, that is, being made holy, being made perfect. And one of the ways in which we can do this is through avoiding sexual immorality, avoiding taking sex out of God's good and perfect design in marriage. Now, while this may not be a problem for everyone here yet, 
there's a very high chance that it will be in the future. Being 100% sexually pure is an incredibly difficult thing to do, especially in a society that is force-feeding us with the idea that it's okay to sleep with whoever we want and have no consequences. And in a society where the deepest, darkest pornography is just one click away on the internet. Did you know that more than half of boys and nearly a third of girls had seen pornography by the age of 13? And that 68% of young adult males and 18% of young adult women use pornography at least once a week. This should shock you. This is disgusting. This is a harsh reminder of the society that we're living in. Paul writes in verse 6 that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And this is exactly what pornography is. It's taking advantage of someone, being completely selfish, taking advantage of someone else's misfortune and treating them as complete and utter sexual objects. When they are made in the image of God, they are brothers and sisters. And God is not going to tolerate this. As the end of verse 6 says, he says, The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. But that's not all. Like, this passage isn't obviously just talking about pornography, because it wasn't even around 2,000 years ago. But Paul is also telling us to control our body in regard to sex. Now, if we're living for Jesus, then we're going to be different. And that will mean not just doing what the world tells us. Paul tells us in verse 7 that God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. God didn't call us to sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend. God didn't call us to see how far we could go with someone else. God called us to live a holy life, to live with purity. And purity isn't just what we do, but it's also how people perceive us. If you and your boyfriend or girlfriend go away together, just the two of you, what would people think of that? You may be doing all that you can to avoid any sort of sexual immorality, but to the outsider, they will just assume that you're sleeping together. And how is that honoring to Christ? How is that living differently and living a holy life? Well, we're just left with a lot of questions then, aren't we? How far can we go? What should we be doing to stop a pornography addiction we may have? Does God still love me if I've screwed up sexually? I'll answer, I'll answer that last question first. Yes, he does. God does still love you. Of course he does. When Jesus died on the cross... He knew your heart. He knew everything you've ever done and you ever will do. So there's nothing you can do that can somehow revoke your salvation because everything has been accomplished in the death of Jesus. And all we need to do is trust that he is Lord. But in terms of what we can do practically, obviously this is a very sensitive topic. If things have come up that you need to speak about with someone, please do so. Talk to someone who can help, who can keep you accountable to live a holy life and keep encouraging you to live for Jesus, to get rid of sexual sin. And what can you do? If you know that staying up late at night leads to sexual sin, then don't. If keeping your phone in your room late at night leads to sexual sin, then get rid of it. If you and your boyfriend or girlfriend know that something bad will happen if you're in the same house together alone, then get out of it. 
I have some friends who are engaged at the moment, which is really, really exciting. Uh, but they know that there's the potential for them to struggle together sexually. So they have vowed not to kiss again until their wedding day, which is going to be a long time away. They take so seriously their love for one another and their love for God that they don't want to take advantage of one another, that they cut all potential temptation out of the picture because they live with Jesus as their Lord. May we all be able to do things like this. Let's live for Jesus by living holy lives. Now, another way which we live with Jesus as our Lord is by being faithful in our work. Paul shows that the Thessalonian church has been loving each other. This church is a good church. Have a read with me from verse 9. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And Paul goes on to say just how they can love one another. To make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should, know, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. What does this mean? Live a quiet life, mind your own business? What's this all about? Well, it seems as though there were some people in the Thessalonian church that when they became a Christian, they ended up giving up their jobs and had no desire to work at all. And they were just scabbing off others in the church. And it wasn't loving at all, was it? So Paul had to call it out here. Now, I just want to clarify quickly, there's a big difference between being unable to work and being unwilling to work. These guys were able to work, they just were so unwilling. There's nothing wrong with being unable to work and not doing so. Uh, but these guys who are scabbing off one another, that's not loving, is it? They're like those people who uh, get Centrelink, they get the doll because they're unemployed, but instead of spending their time looking for jobs or trying to help out in the community, they're at the beach all day, every day. Now, I live near the beach, and there actually are some people who are like this. And it's not just a stereotype that you'd see on Home and Away or something. Not that I watch that. <laughs> so, is this passage just talking about work then? Do we all have to get some sort of part-time job and then work it as hard as we possibly can? Or if we do have work, do we have to fight for every shift we can get and work as many hours as possible? Is that honoring to God? No, that's not what this is saying. Because like I was saying before, living for Jesus is living for Jesus as Lord 100% of the time. So at work, He is Lord. And when we are not working, He is Lord. He is Lord for all of our life. Now, we were created to work back in the Garden of Eden. Work is a good thing. But when sin entered the world, humanity decided to live for itself. Work became a curse. Uh, we were created to work so that we can honor God. Uh, but sin has just made that difficult, hasn't it? So if we are living with Jesus as our Lord, if we are living for the one who was killed for us and then rose from the dead in victory, then we should honor him with our time. So this means that we should be faithful in whatever situations we are in and faithful to the authority that's over us. I won't lie, like I said earlier, I've been really convicted by this over the past week as I've been thinking about this passage. So I said I study at YouthWorks College and it's, it's great. Every day I get to hear more and more about God's word, about his love for us, and about how I can teach that to other people. 
Uh, but sometimes in class, I get a bit distracted. Uh, one of my friends and I have discovered a website where we can actually battle Pokemon against each other. Uh, and it's, it's a bit of fun, but it definitely shouldn't be happening in class. Uh, and I've been challenged by this, by this passage during this week. Uh, because if I'm on it during class, it's not loving to anyone. It's not loving to the lecturer. It's not loving to my classmates. It's not loving to God. So I guess I'm committing here, right here, right now, to stop playing it during class. Uh, I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to bring God glory through my effort uh, in my studies. And this is something that we can all do. We can all uh, manage things, move things around so that we can be loving God and one another with our time. What are some of the things uh, that you can be doing to be faithful to God with your time? It may mean cutting back on the many days in a row binging Netflix. It may mean cutting back on the hours you spend on Facebook or Instagram when you get home in the afternoon. It may mean getting off your phone during class and actually listening to the teacher. I was there, I know, I'm not having a dig at anyone. Let's all be faithful with our time. Let's not be lazy at all. Let's live for Jesus and be faithful to him and those around us with our time. Now, there's been a lot of things that we can, I guess, practically go and do from tonight's passage. There's been a lot of things that may challenge us and may confront us. So I'm going to take 30 seconds again. Talk to the person next to you about something that you're going to try and do to change so that you can live for Jesus. Something that will free you up so that you can live for Jesus. And then this time next week, find that person, talk to them, check that they did it, and then pray for them. Uh, so take 30 seconds, say what's something that you can go and do in the next week to help you live for Jesus. Go for it. That's great, guys. That's, that's a lot of talk. I'm hoping that's a lot of things that you can be going to go and do to help you live for Jesus. But as we, as we head out from here tonight, as we, as we leave tonight, let's not forget why we're doing this. It's because of Jesus. Because of God, out of his amazing love and grace and mercy, was willing to come to earth, die for us, and then through his great power, rising from the dead. So this is the good news of Jesus. This is why we're here. This is why Jesus is Lord. And this is the reason that we're living for him. So let's go and do it. I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll do something else. Uh, our mighty God, we thank you so much that you are king, uh, that Jesus is our Lord. Please help us as we go out from here uh, to live for you, that your spirit would be working in us. We'd have a spirit of, a spirit of service. Uh, and that we would be doing our best to love one another, uh, be faithful to you, uh, and, yeah, live for Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Josh.